The opinions and views expressed in Dead Men Do Tell Tales and all affiliated media are Jordan and Nicole's and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of their training program or others working in the field of medical legal death investigation. Welcome to Dead Men Do Tell Tales, a podcast about forensic pathology-related topics. I'm Nicole Kroom. And I'm Jordan Taylor. And we're both forensic pathology fellows, currently in the field of forensic pathology. And we have been putting this off for a long time, because this is a very, very complicated topic with many, many steps. And we are breaking guns down into at least four episodes. Yes. (laughs) We'll probably be touching on it, you know, we have touched on it before, and we probably will touch on it again. But we're going to try to... Stick with some intro basic stuff today? Yes. Yeah, today is mostly history, epidemiology, and then basic anatomy of bullet, uh, basic anatomy of guns and ammunition. Yes. And we're going to go into more detail on like gun anatomy later when we go into specific types of guns for other stuff. And thank you guys in advance for your patience because we are not gun or bullet experts. And we are not being trained to be gun or bullet experts. That is what ballistics experts are for. Exactly. What we are experts on is what they do to the human body. Yes. But we still do need to know some basics about them themselves. So that's what we're going to try to learn ourselves and explain to you all. Yes. So to start off with like way back history, do you know when gunpowder was first invented? Um, I think, and or where? I, I think it was ancient China. Yes. I don't know what year, but I think it was ancient China. Yeah, it was in the ninth century. Ninth century. Long, Oof. long time ago. And then the very first gun, do you have a guess when that was? Is it around the same time? Yeah. Tenth century? Yeah, so it's like a thousand <laughs> AD. It was a bamboo tube that used gunpowder to fire a spear. Oh my gosh. Okay, so when gunpowder was being invented, was it for the explicit purpose of trying to create something that would fire projectiles? I did not see that. I mean, it could also be explosions because they also had like fireworks and stuff, right? Yeah. So my guess is it was like invented amongst all of these things. Okay. So yeah, but it was kind of cool. And then the first portable gun was something called a fire lance. And the earliest depiction of this was in 1132 AD. Essentially, they had black powder, which we'll go into detail later. That's the propellant. It's like, it was a black powder-filled tube attached to the end of a spear, and it was used as a flamethrower. Wow. And then sometimes they would put shrapnel in it, and then that would launch projectiles. So that's what was considered the first, like, quote-unquote gun, because it fired these projectiles out of this, like, flamethrower spear explosion thing. That sounds even more terrifying <laughs> than the weaponry we have today, which right. is saying something. Because, <laughs> like, a, I mean, for better or worse, a bullet is, a gun is very pointed, right? Right. Versus this is just like, poof, explosion <laughs> everywhere. Also so sounds yes. likely to backfire and explode on the user. Oh, I can only imagine it must quite a lot. Yeah. And then with increasing black powder, you know, more explosion the paper and bamboo, I can, you can imagine, would, wasn't the most stable, what they were using to light things with and oh. keep the projectiles in there. Yeah. So then they started to replace it with metal, and then the shrapnel was replaced with projectiles that better fit the barrel. And that was so, you know, if the projectile sealed on the barrel, 
when the powder exploded, it can, you know, put all of its potential into expelling the bullet, which we'll talk about a little later with histories of some gun stuff. So that was really the first we think of as a more modern gun using the metal to really, you know, not burn up in your hand. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then the first cannon or breech loading guns, or they called them set bangs. I don't know if it's pronounced set bangs, but it's C-E-T-B-A-N-G. So I'm going to call it a set bang. I'm also going to call it a set bang, you know, (laughs) because it comes up so often in conversation. (laughs) I really hope one of us gets somebody that was killed by a set bang. Oh my gosh. I'm definitely putting that on the death certificate and nobody is telling me otherwise. Not allowed. Just kidding. I will change it. (laughs) (laughs) These were used in the 1300s and they were thought to have originated from the Mongol invasion in 1293 and so these are swivel guns that were mounted on like shipping vessels or um seafaring vessels i thought you were gonna say horses because it was the (laughs) mongols (laughs) well they were on the coast too but yeah so because of the mongol invasion they developed these but they could be mounted on vessels oh they developed them as like a defense yes of the mongol invasion yes exactly makes way more sense for sure and then, as with a lot of things that we use today in the Western world and don't give proper credit for, gunpowder came to Europe along the Silk Road, hmm. along with opium, as we oh, talked about before. Yay. Also, that is those, if you hear that, those are our cats, quote-unquote, playing. So, the, the cats are not trying to murder each other. So, English first used Ribaldis, which were their version of cannons, also in the 1300s. So, it was right around the same time that that was all kind of developing. And in the 14th century Europe, they started developing smaller and more portable handheld cannons <laughs> and created the first smoothbore personal firearm. And as we'll go into this later, but a smoothbore personal firearm are some of the original weapons. Those are shotguns, that type of thing. And then in the late 15th century, the Ottoman Empire was using these portable handheld cannons as part of the regular infantry. And then this one I just want to throw in there in the proper timeline. So Beretta, I'm sure you know Beretta handguns. Oh, yes. They... I was like, the cheese? Yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> Beretta's not a type of... Beretta? Yeah. No. <laughs> I know where your mind is. I appreciate it. <laughs> guns, guns. Focus, the Nicole. other public health crisis, <laughs> obesity from too much cheese. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so Beretta, the gun manufacturer, they, they are actually the oldest firearms manufacturer and they were established in 1524. Oh my so gosh. It was a very long time ago. Wow. And now I'm going to skip a lot. 1860s. That was in the, um, the American civil war. That was when the first rapid fire firearm or the Gatling gun, which was invented by Richard Gatling was used. And then in, that's George. Um, and then in 1885, the first machine gun, which was called the Maxim gum, was used. And that was invented by Hiram Maxim. Oh, shocker. Wait, the, Maxim? Like the same guy who did the magazines? M-A-X-I-M? Yeah. I don't know if that's the same guy's magazine. Magazines and guns? Seems like an interesting... Uh, well, I mean, it is called a magazine that you put into the gun, so... Wow. <laughs> wow. Taking away your pun license. What? I'm just making connections all you over the place. You are making amazing connections. I'm impressed. This I'm is what impressed. happens when I'm actively listening instead of talking. <laughs> <laughs> Teach me your ways, my uh-huh. 
And then in 1918 was the first submachine gun. And we'll talk about this in a bit, but that's a submachine gun is something that's fully automatic and fires pistol cartridges. And that was the first one that could be maneuvered by a single soldier. So machine guns, usually you need two soldiers. One of them is feeding in the ammunition belt. Mm-hmm. And a submachine gun can usually be maneuvered by a single soldier. And that was used in World War One mm-hmm. by the German army. It was the primary weapon of the Strasstruppen, which is what the German army was called. Nice. Strasstruppen. Does that mean anything? I'm probably. It just means German army. <laughs> it just means German army. And then in World War II, the first assault rifle was used again by the Germans, called the STG-44. They always have the newest in uh, weapons technology. Mm-hmm. Including uh, the atomic bombs that we sold the German scientists. That's right. Help make them. That's right. Which we will not be talking about in this episode. Maybe that would be a cool episode. Radiation. Uh, radiation and atomic bombs, atomic weapons. Oh, that would be, yeah. And then, so since the 20th century... Guns that fire beams of energy and by means other than gunpowder have been developed. And until... Are you talking about laser guns? Lasers. (laughs) We'll go into some of the other fun ones that are out there. And then a couple other fun facts. Until the 1970s, revolvers were still the most popular and common type of handgun in the U.S. So that is, you know, now we have the semi-automatic handgun is more common. But, you know, 1970s was still revolvers. It wasn't that long ago. Hmm. And then in 18... I'm sorry, I'm going a little out of order here. 1893, the first commercial automatic pistol was produced by Borchardt, which was the predecessor to the Luger. So oh. it was actually before 1900s that the first automatic pistol was produced. Wow. Interesting. And so that was more, you know, just generic world <laughs> history of guns and from the beginning of time. Very briefly, <laughs> there's way more than that. Thank you, Wikipedia, for all of your... For everything. Yeah. And, uh, and now I'm going to go into a little bit more history of guns in the U.S., specifically how uh, the gun violence epidemic became such a problem here. And why this is our lane. <laughs> why this is our lane, yeah. <laughs> so gun ownership was kind of the norm for free men and not terribly unusual for free women and at least male children throughout the colonial, revolutionary, and early republic periods. And most settlers viewed the gun as a tool, so it was kind of necessary, but it was super ordinary, like a plow Mm, or an axe, just like standard, whatever. Not super ritzy or glamorous or interesting. But then in the 19th century... There was a shift from craft to industrial production. So these machine-made interchangeable parts dramatically increased the manufacturing capacities for guns. Gotcha. So therefore, there were a lot of guns and there weren't a lot of people buying them because they just saw them as routine tools. Yes. So um, in order to make them more profitable, Mm. yes, companies began to make different markets for them. Really advertising is what's true in America. Exactly. So hunting became not only a source of food, but a dominant form of recreation for many. Mm. And casual target shooting competitions were commonplace on the frontier in the 19th century. Nice. And then as part of the socialization into hunting, receiving a real rifle became seen as a rite of passage from boyhood into manhood. Um, The gun industry also promoted guns as objects of typically masculine desire through mass advertising of course and gun collecting as an as a hobby and business arose in the early 20th century 
And in the early days, no special licensing was required to bear arms, but beginning with Kentucky in 1813, there was... You didn't need any kind of a license uh, at all? No. No. Yep. But Kentucky in 1813 decided that they needed something, so there was a movement in several southern states, starting with Kentucky, to ban the carrying of concealed weapons in public, and then that subsequently spread to the rest of the United States. And then Franklin Delano Roosevelt signed the first federal gun control legislation in 1934, hoping to reduce the number of armed bootleggers. Oh, yeah, I remember reading something about, like, the concealed carry being part of the issue. Yeah, yeah. And then further legislation came along um, via President Lyndon B. Johnson after the assassinations of John F. Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, and the Reverend Martin Luther King. So he pushed through something called the Gun Control Act of 1968. Um, And then throughout the 60s and 70s is when this like current era of gun rights activism began. Okay. Um, and it was led actually by the Black Panthers and the NRA. And that's awesome. Yeah. I love that that was the group that, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, and they insisted that owning a firearm was the right of each and every American. Um, and until that point, the Second Amendment had all but been largely ignored. It really? actually wasn't like a contentious issue interesting they definitely have pushed it for us like this has always been like the hottest button amendment ever no no interesting yeah for like the first 200 years after it was written nobody really paid any attention to it and it wasn't until these movements started that people began interpreting it as we the people have the right to bear arms because if you actually read it it's got all these random commas in it so you can interpret it in many different ways and so that's when it started being interpreted as like we as individual citizens have the right to bear arms instead of we like citizens that have been inducted into some sort of militia have the right to bear arms gotcha so there's still like a lot of debate as to what the founding fathers actually meant when they were writing the bill of rights slash did they mean to leave it super vague so they can interpret it however they wanted at the time exactly the ruling whites can interpret it however they, they wanted, wanted at the time. time yeah so you can hear a lot more um details about this interesting transition in thought regarding the second amendment in this podcast called more perfect more perfect yeah they okay. have an episode called the gun show which they then that's a great name i know <laughs> which they then did a reprise of called the gun show Re- reprise um with <laughs> less creative <laughs> less creative when they were doing their more perfect album where they were going through all 27 of the amendments and they had people come oh, on cool. and do something it, it's really good highly recommend okay. But anyway, so you can hear all about the controversy surrounding the Second Amendment then. But ever since that time, um, that's when we've got this, like, very polarized view of gun rights ownership. So back in the day, as I was saying, when um, different mass tragedies would happen, they would, the, the politicians would often enact stricter legislation. Nowadays, unfortunately, incidents in the U.S. don't inspire such changes instead gun sales tend to go up after shooting incidents yes. that are in the yeah. media i remember after sandy hook and parkland especially it was yeah. just insane yep not okay yeah so it's i'm sure that you have some more recent numbers but one of the interesting things i saw with epidemiology is like back in 2014 there were in the u.s about 310 to 320 million people own guns mm-hmm and then as of 2017, 
it was almost 400 million. Yep. If you back calculate the math, that's about, it's more than 120 firearms per 100 people. The next highest country mm-hmm. after the U.S. is the Falkland Islands at 66.7. So they have like slightly more than half. Yeah. So they have essentially half as many. And then after that is Saudi Arabia at 57, uh, 53.7. The other thing I thought about that statistic was just that there's no official registry of firearms. Yes. Oh, yeah. And then that's like what I was assuming was like legally owned firearms. Right. So, yeah. yeah. And then beyond that, like, those are civilian-owned. And in the U.S., again, this is a little less than 10 years old, but still, like, older data. There's about a million firearms in police possession and about 4 million in military possession. Mm -hmm. And this is in the U.S. So, like, it's just this insanely high number that you don't think about. Yeah. I guess I don't think about. I mean, I don't own any guns. I have family that owns guns. You own two guns. Spectacular guns. Wow. Ah. Thanks. Thanks. (laughs) The other thing about the number of guns was um, that Americans make up 4% of the world's population, but own 46% of the entire global stock of firearms, civilian firearms. And when I was looking at those stats, like, I just listed off some of them. Let me find the other one. Um, Oh, yeah. So the lowest is, like, in that, like, number of arms per um you know number of firearms per 100 people taiwan is the lowest and they have less than 0.1 gun per like 100 people and like japan has 0.3 guns per 100 people yeah it's like it's just so ridiculous like and like they don't they just don't have the violence there the gun violence there that we do here United Kingdom, 0.9 guns per 100 people. <laughs> wow. And that, and we have 120. Yeah. Literally 120 plus times more. And that's... Than the UK, yeah. density-wise. It's stupid. Seems it's a, stupid. a little excessive. A little excessive. Just a tad. Like, you don't... Why? And, of course, part of it is, you know, higher rates of gun ownership are associated with higher suicide rates. Higher accidental gun death rates. Like, there are all of these other things that, you know, I don't buy a, you know, I don't, I'm a bad example. Somebody doesn't buy a gun always to shoot themselves, but then their child then can have access to the gun. Somebody else might be able to get access to that gun. And then suicide, accidental gun discharge because they don't know how to take care of it and, you know, treat it and like all of the things you need to do as part of being a gun owner, so... Well, and also they've shown in studies that suicide is a fairly impulsive decision most of the time. And so if you just, even if you didn't buy the gun with the intention of killing yourself, if you have access to the gun, then, you know, if you have the impulse, you have the means to act on it very effectively. And we've seen cases where you have young, I I mean, I don't think it's been super young, but I think there was like a teenager that had access to their parents' gun and they killed themselves with their access to their parents' gun. Yeah. Like it. It's so sad and it's terrifying, but it happens. Yeah. And, yeah. Unless you, like, have a way to make sure your children do not have access. They don't know the codes. They don't, like, all of it. Yeah. There are safe ways, but there's no guaranteed ways. Exactly. Yeah. And a lot of people, I think, like, their kids know their access to their gun safes or stuff like that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Speaking of uh, 
injury and death, which is kind of what we're all about. Yes. About? About? <laughs> about. A little Canadian about? Yeah. I mean, Canada we're, we're closer is, to Canada now. Canada so. actually has pretty high rates. Canada is 34.7 guns per 100 people. Yeah, I was surprised by how many guns. Well, I think a lot of Canada family. is farming, and I think that they're more allowed to have gun for shotguns and stuff on ranches. I think that's more allowed. So I think a lot of Canada is that. Ah, uh, so it's back like the early days in, yes. in uh, America yeah, where it was a tool. <laughs> I don't think it's, I mean, I, please correct me if this is, I don't think concealed carry is a thing in Canada. Oh. Um, but they there are a, a lot more uh, per capita people that live on farms and stuff that we can get. If there are any uh, Canadians listening to this, please email us with... Um, some, exactly how I am wrong. Some corroboration <laughs> or correction. criticism. Yeah. <laughs> I like correction better than criticism. <laughs> Gentle correction. Yes. Constructive. Constructive criticism. <laughs> so some global fast stats. An estimated 2,000 people are injured by gunshots every single day. That sounds about right. And more than 500 people die every day from gun violence. That sounds about right. And 44% of all homicides globally involve gun violence. Of what percent, sorry? 44%. 44. Okay. Yep. A little less than half. So the majority of the victims and perpetrators are young men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not shocking at all. Nope. But women are particularly at risk of firearms violence perpetuated by an intimate partner. Mm, yep. Also not surprising. Do you have any stats there with, like, gang-related things? Uh, mm-hmm. No, not globally. Okay. Okay. And... Actually, I don't think I do with U.S.-specific either. Then in terms of the U.S., the most recent statistics I had were from 2017, although there is an organization, I want to say, called the Gun Violence Archive that kind of has up-to-date numbers. So I was just going to briefly touch on the 2022 numbers to date so far, of which there are way too many because it's only the second week of the month. Oh, it is. Wow. That's terrifying. Okay. (laughs) So in 2017, almost 40,000 people died from gun-related injuries in the U.S. Okay. 60% were suicides, so around 24,000. Okay. 37% were homicides, uh, 14,500-ish. Okay. And African-Americans slash blacks accounted for 58.5% of those gun-related homicides nationwide, mm-hmm. okay. uh, despite making up just 13% of the U.S. population. So there's a huge disparity gotcha. in there. Yeah, for sure. And then the remainder were unintentional, involved law enforcement, which is separated out for some reason, okay. or had undetermined circumstances. Okay, interesting. So put a different way, 75% of all U.S. homicides in 2017 involved a firearm, and about half of all suicides involved a gun. That, I mean, that kind of checks out with yeah. what we have been seeing. Yeah. I feel like we get a lot of our suicides are, I would say most of them are guns. And yeah. then we have a handful of hangings and a few random intentional overdoses. Right. Yeah. And in terms of homicides, all of my homicides have been. Yeah. You've only had. Yeah. Gun I've had a few other random stuff. But, yeah. You know, they, it is dwarfed by the number of gun yeah. homicides. Dwarfed. Yeah. And then the number of children who died from firearm-related deaths in the U.S. rose from arose to 1,800 in 2017 from 1,600 roughly in 2016. Too many. Yes. Stop. Stop it. And how many of those were from mass shootings? Uh, that I don't know. I do have a little statistic on mass shootings later, including the fact that there's no like 
true definition. True. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, one, two is a mess. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, but both gun murders and gun suicides have gone up in recent years, though actually both are lower than in the peak during the mid-1970s. Re- Interesting. Uh, yeah. That's shocking. It was a ter- ter- tumultuous? Tumultuous time. <laughs> I was going to say turmoil time, and I was like, that's It not... was very turmoiled. Yeah. <laughs> I'm turmoiled. So on a per capita basis, that equates to 12 gun deaths per 100,000 people. And the states with the highest rates of gun-related deaths, counting homicides, suicides, and all other categories tracked by the CDC, mm-hmm. are... Want to guess what the highest is? States? Yeah. Kentucky? Alaska. Ooh, okay. Yeah, Alaska is 24.5 per 100,000 people. And then Alabama, mm. Montana, Louisiana, Missouri, and Mississippi are tied. Wow, Kentucky didn't even make the top five. Nope. And Arkansas is the last. <laughs> okay. And then the states with the lowest rates, do you want to guess the top one? Uh, Vermont or California? New Jersey. Mm, really? Yeah, 5.3 huh. per 100,000 okay. people. And then Connecticut. Ooh, yeah, Connecticut. That's right. Rhode Island. Oh, New England's got this on lockdown. Yeah. New York and Massachusetts mm, okay. both tied. And then Hawaii. <laughs> so California didn't make the list, but I think okay. that's because it's such a huge state that's and it's true. got lots well, it of has big a... metropolitan areas. Yeah. Well, comparably, Connecticut and those states. Just... Vermont, I can totally understand not being. Yeah. Well, that's why I thought Vermont would be one of the lowest. Yeah. But... Apparently people be shooting each other in Vermont. There are, all, There's a lot of farmland in Vermont. Yeah. And the gun death rate in the U.S. is much higher than in most other nations. The gun death rate in the U.S. is much higher than in most other nations, particularly developed nations, but it is still far below the rates in several Latin American nations. So overall, the U.S. ranked 20th in its gun fatality rate, actually, which surprised me. I would have thought it was higher. And then, as kind of alluded to earlier, there's no agreed upon definition of mass shooting, uh, most people de- define it as incidents in which four or more people are killed, okay. um, not including the shooter. And using this definition, 373 people died in these incidents in 2018. Okay. And actually looking at the gun violence archive, uh, just for this year, the total number of gun violence deaths already to date is about 1,200. 511 of which are either homicide, murder, unintentional, or undetermined, and 726 are suicide. Mm, And then there have been 15 mass shootings already. That's stupid. There's been 11 days this month. It's January 11th. Yep. No. Yeah. No. Oh. Wait, 15 deaths or 15 separate mass shootings? Uh, I think 15 separate mass shootings. Why? Yeah, number of incidents reported and verified. So it's not the number of people, it's the number of mass shootings. Dumb. Yeah. And number of children who have been killed, age 0 to 11, is 7. Number of teens killed is 29. We should, like, vaguely update this every time we do a gun episode, because it'll be every two weeks just to see, like, how much this jumps. Ooh, we should. Yeah. I mean, it'll be very upsetting, No, we should definitely do it. I think that's part of it, though. Like, we need to... It is upsetting, and we shouldn't sugarcoat it, you know? Like, it's... This is horrible. Yeah. So we're going to then do a really quick uh, anatomy and physiology lesson on guns. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We're going to kind of run through the broad types of guns, and then talk a little bit more in depth about ammunition, because we'll go more into, like, the types of guns later on. The big categories of guns are handguns, rifles, shotguns, submachine guns, and machine guns. 
a handgun is, as you can imagine, it's a gun that you can hold in a single hand. What? <laughs> I know, crazy. There are four kind of categories within this. The first being a single shot pistol, which, you know, you need to reload every time you need to take a shot. There are derringers, and those are where there are multiple barrels, usually oh. stacked one on top of each other. And they're often very small and adorable, but usually you need to fire each separately. So, like, you can fire twice because there's two separate, like, barrels that are each loaded with a separate bullet. Oh, yeah. These are the kind that you always see in the, like, old Western exactly. movies. Exactly. Or, like, you know, the, the thing that the woman has in her purse yeah, that yeah, she pulls yeah. out. So they're adorable little things, but usually, the, but there are multiple barrels, and you shoot twice, and it's separate. It doesn't like shoot two at once. You shoot one, and then shoot the other. Aw, these are so daring, cute. They're cute adorable. Yes, cute but deadly. I feel like a lot of uh, a lot of things we talk about are cute but deadly. Yep. And then there are revolvers, and these we know as the ones with like you know the circular barrel that you know standard six shot revolver. There are ones that swing sideways, so that like goes on like you typically see. They also have a brick top one where like. Instead of sliding out, the whole thing kind of like bends, like kind of breaks apart. So the the barrel goes down and the handle goes down and you can load it that way. As well as there's another one that's called the solid frame type, which you can just load without having to pop out or break the top. And you can just like turn it and load it. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then there are what we usually think of, which are auto-loading pistols, which some people call automatic, but it's not really true. They're not automatic. Automatic means if you hold the, the trigger down, it'll keep shooting. But these are technically semi-automatic because you pull the trigger, which fires the bullet, and then in the action of the bullet being fired, it loads the next cartridge into the barrel. So it's semi-automatic because you have to pull the trigger for each one. Then there are rifles, and what that means is that it's um, a rifle has to be in the U.S. at least 16 inches long. And the barrel itself is what's called rifled. So there's like spiral grooves within the barrel. And, you know, there's a lot of different kinds of rifles that will go into detail, you know, assault rifles, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of different things. There are shotguns. And those are, again, smoothbore. So we talked about that a little bit before. So the inside of it is smooth, whereas a rifle, you have what's called a rifled barrel. So it has the, the grooves, the spinny bits, versus a shotgun. It doesn't have the spinny bits. The perks of the spinny bits are they make, literally, they make the bullet spin, and that makes it so, you know, they can go more stably longer and have slightly better aim. Yes, and they won't start to tumble in the air. Exactly. Uh, So think like a North American football. Yes, that is a great, or a rugby ball. Or a rugby ball. Exactly. That is true. For the non-murders. I, I can't take credit for the uh, football analogy that was from somewhere else. No, that's brilliant. No, that's really good to explain it. And then within shotguns, there are a bunch of different things. So there's single shots where you have to load it every time. There's an called an over and under, which look more like derringers. So there's two barrels on top of one another. And then there's the double barrel, which are the side by side. Ah. And there are a couple of other ones too. The classic side. The classic, side. yeah. The uh, Bugs Bunny shotgun. Yes. Elmer Fudd. You wascally wabbit. <laughs> <laughs> Twix are for kids. Wait, what? And then there is a submachine gun, which, as we talked about before, so these are fired from the shoulder. They're capable of full automatic fire, and that means you hold the trigger down and it keeps shooting until you take your finger off the trigger or you run out of ammo. And then there is a machine gun, and these are the ones that are, again, capable of full automatic firing, but these fire rifle ammunition, which we'll talk about the type of ammunition in a minute. 
And these are, again, usually crew-operated, so you need, you know, somebody feeding in the ammo belts. And then, of course, there's a bunch of other types of guns out there. You know, there are air guns, so those fire with compressed air rather than with powder. And then there are things like elephant guns, which are, like, very large caliber guns to literally, like, usually, like, a a shotgun is, like, a 12-gauge shotgun. And with gauges, like, the bigger the number, the smaller the bullet Mm -hmm. is. But elephant guns are gauges 10 through 2. I just looked up a picture yes. of the bullet, and They're it's bigger huge. than the person's hand. Yes, no. This is... So, I mean, you would think of an elephant gun, and you have to literally take down an elephant. They're huge. So there's such thing as an elephant gun with, like, two-gauge bullets. Holy moly. There are, of course, Why don't like, we just not take down elephants? I, I mean, that's really <laughs> the correct way to go. But, you know, they had to kill all the things back then, so... There are things like express rifles, and those have really lightweight bullets. And But when a bullet's lightweight, it can go really fast, so that creates really high velocity. There are, like, spear guns, right? There's mm. other projectiles out there. There are things like varmint rifles, which, you know, are really there to just kill snakes and rodents and stuff like that. So, like, oh. really, really tiny shells. And then there are things like artillery guns. So, like you know, those bangs? are... Like set bangs. <laughs> and those are, like, tanks, right? So those uh, are, like, yes. the really large... They're still guns that's true we will I not be talking about them but never they have are of that. yeah yeah so, i mean they but they're all technically they have the same <laughs> basic concept behind them of you're using a propellant yeah. to send a projectile through a metal tube right like <laughs> surprise that's how guns work <laughs> um and then there are things like flare guns right. which is shooting a flare instead of a bullet yeah. and you know we have seen people that were shot by flare guns mm-hmm. And, you know, stun guns, which, again, that's a very different type of category. But, you know, using electricity, we call them a gun because they're often handheld like a gun. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of other options out there. But, you know, the big categories that we generally see are handguns, rifles, and shotguns. Yes. Are our uh, bread and gun butter. Sounds like a terrible sandwich. Bread and black powder butter? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Not tasty. No. Bread and blood butter, really. Oh, okay. Yeah, stopping now. <laughs> so the basic parts of a gun, if you will, basic anatomy. All of the different types of guns have some sort of grip or stock. So that's the part that you hold with your hand. All of them have some sort of trigger, which is the part you pull back to actually fire the projectile. All of them have some sort of hammer, which is the thing that actually strikes the projectile to make the little explosion that forces it from the last part of thing that all guns have, the barrel. Yes. So gripper stock, trigger, hammer, barrel. Basic anatomy of all types of guns. And then, of course, the length changes, the size of the bullet changes. Like, there's a lot of, like, the the equipment within the anatomy all changes. But yeah, yeah. Um, And in terms of the barrel, some important characteristics were rifling, as Jordan mentioned. And then something called the bore, which is that inner diameter of the barrel, which determines the caliber of cartridges that can be loaded and fired from it. And in shotguns, this is called the gauge. Yes. And so when we talk about ammunition, as Nicole just mentioned, the first thing that often comes up is caliber. Mm -hmm. And as Nicole mentioned, that caliber is really, well, most of the time, I'm going to say, because there's going to be a caveat that I'm going to say immediately, (laughs) is... Measured in essentially, well, in the U.S., is in inches of that bore, the inner diameter of the barrel. And 
often this is pretty good. So like a 45 caliber gun, 45 caliber bullet, both of them. The diameter of the bottom of the bullet or the inside of the barrel is 0.45 inches. Yep. But there are times and there are places that that doesn't work and it's really annoying because even though you know what it is and you measure it, it might not actually tell you what it is. And the main thing with this is a 38 special and a 357 magnum. So a 38 special you would think would be 0.38 inches and a 357 magnum would be 0.357 inches. But, and normally with guns, and we'll, I don't know, this might be a good time to talk about it, is ideally you want a diameter bullet that matches the diameter of the bore. Because if they match, when the propellant goes off, you're firing that gas. And if they match, right, if the same diameter is happening, you have a good seal. And all of the power from that propellant going off is going to, you know, be directly translated into the force of sending that bullet out of the gun. But if there is a mismatch, if, you know, the bullet is too small, you'll have some of that gas that's going around the bullet now. And it's not doing its job. So ideally, you want a nice seal. Long story short, seal equals good. The issue is the 357 Magnum can fire 0.38 bullets, but not the other way around. <laughs> so a and... <laughs> 0.38 gun cannot fire a 0.357 Magnum. Exactly. Bullet. Okay. Yes. Both of them measure 0.38 inches in diameter. But it's the length of the... It's the length uh-huh. that's different. So even though everywhere else they're called the same thing, a point, a thirty-eight and a three fifty-seven, the diameter of the bottom of the gun, of the bullet, or the bore of the gun, is going to be 0.38, give or take small fractions, slash if your ruler's being good to you today. <laughs> but the length is different. So the three fifty-seven cartridge is a thirty-eight cartridge, that's lengthened and then loaded with extra propellant. So the reason that the 357 can still load the 38s is because there's slightly less propellant, right? But the other way for the gun that's designed to shoot less propellant, you can't put more propellant in there. Or things are going to go badly. Well, it just explode in your hand. I don't know exactly. I mean, I, it would probably do bad things. Probably like bad, like um, like kickback or something oh. like. I don't, know exa- I don't know exactly what would happen to it, but they're the exact same diameter. So, like, the measurements that we all call things are completely useless. But, yeah, it's annoying. But magnum means, essentially, when in this case, magnum means it's longer and has a higher velocity. Take that as you will. <laughs> and then ammunition consists of a cartridge case, a primer, a propellant, and then the bullet or the projectile. It's the easiest way to think of it. So there are such thing as dummy cartridges, and these have no primer or powder. So they literally just have, like, you can put it into a gun, it might weigh the same, but when the firing pin hits it, it's not going to do anything because there's nothing to explode. So those are, you know. And then there's also blanks, and those have just paper discs instead of bullets. Oh, that's what's in there. Yeah. So there are things that don't work as bullets that might look like bullets, and not as good. But yeah, so blanks and dummy cartridges are different. Blanks have paper discs instead of bullets. Dummy cartridges don't have the exploding bits. Okay. Oh, so dummy cartridges are different than blanks. Yes. Huh. So the blanks have the paper discs, but they will explode. 
they go boom. Okay. Dummy cartridges don't go boom, but they probably weigh closer to what the normal one would. Hmm. It just wouldn't do anything. Yeah. Them. I mean, it would probably like the the firing pin would probably hit it and it would move like a little bit. <laughs> That's what I'm picturing. <laughs> And so the job of the cartridge, that's the um, the metal bit on the outside. The only job of it is to expand and then seal against that chamber. Like we said, you need a good seal in order for the propellant to be able to effectively translate that force. That's the job of the cartridge. And that's the thing that was developed, was one of the early modifications within guns to make it so we had more effective projectiles which I will talk about in a little bit when we get to the bullets themselves. On the cartridge is what's called a head stamp, and that essentially is on the bottom of the bullet, and it tells you what it is. So this has letters, numbers, symbols, trade names, and it kind of describes, you know, 357 Magnum, yeah. <laughs> or something like that. It's funny how it's called a head stamp, but the head's on the butt. It's on the butt. <laughs> the butt stamp. We'll call it the butt stamp from now on. Great. The primer... Long story short, this is like kind of what's usually along the butt, the, the butt of the bullet, as we're now going to call it. <laughs> and it's some chemical device that's responsible for initiating the propellant combustion. So the firing pin hits the primer, and the primer has a little mini explosion and sets the propellant on fire. Yep. And these can either be center fire or rim fire, and that just means are they concentrated in the middle of the butt or on the outside of the butt? <laughs> <laughs> so that's all you need to know about those that's all i'm going to tell you about those because that's all i know about those so and that's all you need to yes, know about exactly. those and all of these and i'm not going to go into all of them there's different chemicals that compose them and based on the different chemicals some of that's what we test for when we look for gunshot residue and that kind of stuff so and those have changed over time and developed they used to have mercury now they're less toxic still not great lead's still bad for you in more ways than one. It's true. <laughs> I was like, oh, great, take yeah. out the mercury, because that's what's going to kill you from oh, the yeah, bullet. Oh, <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> and then the propellant is the bit that the primer sets on fire. And until the end of the 19th century, since, you know, the 9th century, so literally 10 centuries long, was black powder. And black powder was charcoal, sulfur, and potassium nitrate. Mm, yum. Charcoal for the boom. I think it was the sulfur for, like, the oxygen source, and the potassium nitrate was, like, something to cut it with. Um, <laughs> sulfur for the smell. <laughs> exactly. If you ever wonder where the smell is from. Yeah. In 1884, Viel, I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong, a French chemist synthesized smokeless powder. And then in, oh, I'm pretty sure this is 1897, not 1997. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Alfred Nobel developed a slightly different one. It was literally years apart, so I'm sure it was that's oh, yeah. the wrong year. Alfred Nobel was not alive. Yeah, no, no, no. I know, I, I know, I know. That's why I read it, and I was like, nope, that's not what I wrote earlier today. His was slightly different, and these contain different nitro, so nitrocellulose, nitroglycerin compounds with stabilizers. So they're not going to create the black powder explosion that they had before. Which makes sense, because he also invented TNT. Yes. He likes yes. to make things go boom. I mean, who doesn't like to make things go boom? True, 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 true. And there are, you know, good and bad things to both of these, but some of the perks of smokeless powder are it's completely converted to gaseous products, so a better transfer of energy, and there's no residue on the inside of the bore of the gun, so you don't have to clean it as much. You should still always clean your gun, but, like, it's less cleaning that you have to do and less damage to the gun itself. Hmm. 
And then in 1976, they created a synthetic black powder. And this was developed to be used in guns that only black powder could be used, but wasn't quite as toxic in that field. Oh. So that was a recent 1976 invention. Interesting. Maybe they got rid of the toxic stuff because it was actually worse for the shooter, not the victim. Oh, I'm 100% sure that's why. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. It was bad for something that just military in my or brain. something. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> and then last but not least, I have bullets. And the bullet is the thing when I think everybody thinks of, you know, a, the gun cartridge. Like, they just think of the bullet. They don't think of all the other bits, which are just as important. But the bullet is the bit that leaves the muzzle. Is the best <laughs> way to describe it. It's the thing that, you know, explodes forward. I guess technically the cartridge might go, like, up from the side. But, like, it's the thing that leaves the front of the muzzle. These were originally lead spheres. Which was really good for smooth bore guns, which we you know for the original ones. You know, that's when, you know, accuracy and long range wasn't really expected. Right. right. They didn't really <laughs> expect much good things to happen. Um, and then they started developing rifles, but loading rifles was an issue. Like, just because you had to have the good seal. So, what essentially they would do is they would, in, like, it would need to have a good seal, and loading them quickly was an issue. Because, mm-hmm. like, you had to shove, like, this thing down the long barrel, right? I wish you guys could see Jordan's hand gestures right now. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> I'm seriously oh, going to start taking video. <laughs> no, we are never being a YouTube podcast. Oh, I didn't say it was going on YouTube. <laughs> uh, you know, Instagram has reels now. Oh, no. <laughs> no, keep your phone away. <laughs> and so what they would essentially do is they would take, like, they would sh- they would essentially, you know, wrap the bullets in these little bits of fabric and shove them down there. And so it was a little bit faster than the other way and so then they developed a bullet called the mini m-i-n-i-e and this was developed so it was smaller than the bore itself but when it was fired there was this like base that got wedged up into this bullet and it created it so it sealed so it was the first technology that they had so it could seal and you could like load it quickly and then it would be able to project without needing to do this extra stuff and then they very quickly realized that that wedge wasn't actually really necessary and the gases would cause that, you know, that cartridge to expand on its own. Ah. And, yeah. And so, you know, there are many different kinds of bullets that are used in firearms now, which I'm going to try to go into not crazy detail on, hopefully. Yeah. We'll, We'll try very hard. So the biggest category, and really this was the only thing that was around for a while, was lead bullets. And these are kind of very straightforward. It's literally lead plus or minus a little bit of antimony or tin for hardness. And these are often greased or lubricated. And that's so (laughs) that the lead doesn't deposit and cause fouling on the inside of the barrel. Like I talked about before with the other guns, like that is what damages guns. That's what you have to clean. So if you put a little bit of grease or lubricating compound on them, it keeps that fouling down. It also keeps, you know, protection and clean and that kind of stuff. And then this also holds true for other types of bullets. There are different tips on bullets that matter. So there are four big categories. One is the round nose, which most of us are very familiar with. Mm -hmm. Those are are the more rounded ones that you more typically see. The rounded tips. (laughs) Then there are the wad cutters, which are very Mm blunt-ended. So that's literally just like, you know, a hard stop at the end. And those are typically used for target practice. You know, they're made to, like, hit and kind of just stop immediately. Mm. So those are target practice. 
And then there are semi-wad cutters. And these are ones that, like, if you picture, like, a cone, and then you just cut off the tip of the cone. So they kind of, they're more tapered, but they still end bluntly. Just not quite, it's not just, like, a pure cylinder. It's, like, a slightly tapered end to the cylinder, but it still ends abruptly. Mm -hmm. And then you have hollow points. And hollow points are essentially that semi-wad cutter. But then instead of a blunt end, it's kind of like has a divot in the in the top of it. It's hollowed out, yes, you might say. Yes, it is hollowed out. There is a cavity in the nose, as I wrote on this. And the point of a hollow nose bullet is so when it hits the target, it actually kind of expands that tip of the bullet out. It, what the term they use is mushrooming. Because it and literally looks like a little mushroom does. when you pull it out of the body. <laughs> exactly. Well, and the reason you pull them out of the bodies is because these are designed to stay at the target. Yeah. Right. Like the point of it is that it doesn't go anywhere. And this could be for various reasons. One of which, you know, they say is, you know, safety for other people. So it doesn't go through somebody and into somebody else. Yeah. But the other thing is it imparts all of the bullets kinetic energy and causes more damage. Exactly. So, yeah, that's when we get like the femur fractures. Right. The crazy. Yeah. And... After lead bullets, the next big category are what are called jacketed bullets. And these are bullets that have little coats on them. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> you have to put on the little zipper before you load it in your gun. So a jacketed bullet has a lead or steel core, but then around it, it has either a full or a partial metal jacket. And the full versus partial is just kind of the bottom. Like, is the butt covered by the jacket or not? I like my butt covered by my jacket. It's true. You would like a full metal jacket. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And military ammunition tends to be full metal jackets. And full metal jackets are traditionally used in semi-automatic handguns to prevent leading and jams. So if you just have a lead bullet, not only will you get that fouling, so like kind of lead dust, but you can also get little fragments of lead bullets that kind of chip off into the inside of the barrel. And then if another bullet tries to go through, it can hit that little fragment and cause the gun to jam. So full metal jackets cause less jamming of your bullets. And those can either be soft point or hollow point. As we talked about before, round point and soft point are similar. And then there are other additional modifications to the tips that can be made to do different things. And then the last one that I wanted to mention briefly are frangible rounds. So these look and function like ordinary bullets, but they're designed to break apart into smaller pieces when they hit hard surfaces. And so a hard surface could be a body where it then has multiple pieces. And this is said to avoid ricochet and overpenetration. Again, these are usually used in training. And the other thing that they talked about was, you know, possibly aircraft use. If an air marshal has to shoot somebody, you yeah. don't want the bullet to keep going through and go out the plane and cause <laughs> pressurization issues. So, they, they, I mean, there is a time and place for some of these things. Yeah, the only other thing I wanted to mention was I thought it was like a weird that the military specifically used full metal jackets. I, I was trying to find out yeah. why. And in the DeMaio's Forensic Pathology, the third edition, they mentioned that it's because of something called the Hague Declaration. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So you can't use bullets that expand or deform inside of a body. Yes. I don't know exactly why. But I that think was it's because it causes less, well, it causes less damage to the person. So the whole point is, like, you don't want to cause more um, harm and bodily or physical harm than you have to. Right, so, but then it goes through them, which means it could cause harm or bodily injury to somebody else or other things in the area. So yes, that but seems the person, a little bit... I, yeah, I feel like it's, you know... Yeah. Yeah. 
it's hard to be perfect with it. But I mean, maybe I you just don't this. shoot people? What if we just don't shoot people? I think you and I are probably more uh, in line with each other than <laughs> with uh, many other people that will maybe listen to this podcast. Yeah. But, yeah. But, yeah, so I know that there's um, obviously much, much more to guns than this. We still have three more episodes on this, so if there's something that you still want us to cover, we know what we're talking about for the first two episodes. We still aren't, or the next two episodes, episode four is still kind of up in the air, so if there's things that you want to hear about, please let us know. Yeah, otherwise it's just going to be a bunch of miscellaneous mishmash with some stories. Exactly. I mean, that could be fun, too. Yeah. I'm happy with miscellaneous mishmash. Mitch? Mishmash? Mitch? Mishmash? Mix match? Wait, I don't even know how to say this word anymore. Mishmash? Mishmash. Mishmash. Yeah. Okay. Like a bullet hitting my brain. No! So we hope your guys' brain isn't exploding with all this new gun information. Yep. And uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks. <laughs> well, yeah. We'll speak at you in a couple we'll weeks. We'll speak at you in a couple weeks. Um, The next one we definitely are going to be talking about, like, we kind of tried to do some anatomy of a gun and bullets today, but the next episode we actually have a much better idea of what we're doing and what we're talking about. Yeah. We're going to like <laughs> kind of walk through what we do for a gunshot, mainly homicide autopsy, but also for suicide or that kind of thing. It's not dissimilar. Yeah. They're all pretty similar. Just obviously there's some extra stuff we do with homicides. We're going to talk about you know how we assess wounds and what things on wounds are associated with. So, if you want to give us a better shot at being found by other listeners, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. It's how we get boosted up on the various podcasting platforms and other people learn about us. You can visit our website at deadmendotailpodcast.com where we link to all of our sources in our episode guide. On Twitter, we're at deadmendo. On Insta, we're at the Dead Tale Tales. And our Facebook page is Dead Men Do Tell Tales Podcast. And as always, send us an email through the website or directly to the Dead Tale Tales at gmail.com. Again, we're looking for things that you might also want to hear about for our fourth episode. We'll have plenty to fill in if not, but you know, if there's something you have questions about, please shoot them in. And our opening theme music is Introducing the Pre-Roll by Lee Rosevear, who you can find on SoundCloud. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll get another episode out to you in a couple of quick weeks. Yep. Bye, Have guys. Have a good one until then. Thank you. Bye. Drawn a blank today. Ah! That was actually really good. Okay. You should <laughs> okay. add it to the end. <laughs>